If you have a Bible, if I could encourage you to turn in it to Psalm 46, and if you want to use the, the Bible in front of you or in the pew underneath, if you want to turn to page 471 and 472, uh, and you'll be where we're going to be this morning. A few weeks ago when I knew that I needed to go back to Calgary to help with things related to my parents' home and all of those kinds of things, uh, I you know, was getting ready to buy the plane ticket, and for whatever reason, um, I began to think a lot about turbulence. Now, I knew I'd be flying to Calgary. Calgary has is an area where there's often tends to be a lot of turbulence, and I was going to be flying back through Denver, and Denver often has a lot of turbulence. And so, for whatever reason, I started thinking about turbulence, but I wasn't just sort of thinking, hey, I may experience some turbulence, which every flight I was on, I got to have my seatbelt on, and, you know, the flight attendants flying home, the flight attendants didn't actually get to do most of the service on the flights because we were rocking and rolling and bumping and having all kinds of good times. Um, but I didn't just think about turbulence. I actually decided I'm going to Google and see if I can learn some things about turbulence. So you're going to hear some things I learned about turbulence. So I don't know if you knew this, but on February the 27th, seven people were hospitalized in Washington, D.C. because of turbulence. They were all on a flight going from Austin, Texas to Frankfurt, Germany. And about 90 minutes into the flight, they had a fairly significant amount of turbulence to where the plane had to divert to Washington so those people could get treated. I don't know if you knew that early in April, 10 people were injured on a flight to Portugal. And the reason everyone got to know this or how it became sort of news around the world was a Brazilian social media influencer was making a video. She was on the flight and she was making a video as they hit the turbulence. I don't know if you want to be a social media influencer, but I guess if you do, you just start taking videos and you'll become famous because of all these things. I also read some articles about turbulence that they said this year because of the El Nino weather pattern we're in, we may actually have worse turbulence this year. I don't know if you're getting on a plane, but I guess maybe some of you are getting nervous now. Some other things I learned. Did you know there are four levels of turbulence? There's light. Then there's moderate. Now moderate, that's when the seatbelt light comes on. Then there's severe and then there's extreme. That's when things start flying around in, in, the, in the cabin of the airplane. That's extreme. Now, obviously, pilots are the ones trying to fly the planes. And obviously, it doesn't do a lot of good if there's things flying around the cabin. So they do some things to try to combat or try to deal with the turbulence. So before they fly, they will go and check the weather reports. Then when they get on their plane and they're flying, the pilots have weather radar, and so they're constantly watching the weather radar to kind of see where things are at. They also will listen to what other pilots are saying about flight paths they took and bumps they maybe came in on flying in a similar area. And then another thing the pilots do to, to, to deal with the, the, the turbulence is they wear their seatbelts, and guess what? They ask us to do what? Please fasten your seatbelts, and as long as you're seated, keep them on, right? They, they tell us that. Now, turbulence isn't just something that happens in the sky. Turbulence is something that can happen in our lives. Just like there can be something called convective turbulence, that's caused, the turbulence caused by thunderstorms, you and I can have turbulence in our lives because storms pop up. 
There also can be what's called mountain wave turbulence, and mountain wave turbulence is why Denver has so much turbulence, because of the way air currents fly over the Rocky Mountains, it can create that. Simply by geographic location, and you can think about it, you and I can sometimes end up in spots. I was in a situation this last week where I really wished I was not standing where I was standing, but I got to be in some turbulence between two people just because I was there. And if any of my family are missing or listening, I was with you. You have no idea which one I'm talking about. I just realized that's a downside of online. I could have siblings watching this, and they're like, oh, which one's he talking about? I'm not saying. Okay? But you can just be in the wrong spot, and there'd be turbulence. Or pilots sometimes will experience what is known as clean air turbulence, which happens. They don't necessarily see it, but you'll have two air masses that will begin to collide together. And you think about it. You've probably experienced some time in your life where there's been conflict or colliding things, colliding expectations, and all of a sudden you've got conflict. All of a sudden you've got turbulence. All of a sudden it was not such a smooth ride. It's very bumpy. You know, I don't know how long I took to, to Google and try and find things out about turbulence. Maybe it was 10 minutes. Maybe it was 15. I don't remember. It wasn't super long. But as I was doing that, I was like, you know, can I deal with the turbulence in my life? I mean, how do I do that? Is it possible to deal with it or do you just have to rock and roll and all the way through it? Well, I think the sons of Korah would say, no, you can deal with turbulence. In fact, I believe that's why I had you turn to Psalm 46 because I think in Psalm 46, the sons of Korah are going to tell us this is how we combat or deal with turbulence. In essence, they're going to give us strategies, things that can become a part of our lives, that if they become a part of our lives, we can handle this turbulence. So three strategies this morning is really what we want to talk about. Strategy number one, if we're going to deal with the turbulence of life, would be we move away from fear. Okay? Just kind of like when you climb onto the plane and you're supposed to put your seatbelt on, there's sort of certain things you're just supposed to do. And the sons of Korah would say, you know what? Just like you put your seatbelt on, you just need to move away from fear. Look with me. It's Psalm chapter 46, verses 2 and 3. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. The sons of Korah really are inviting us to kind of be in this picture of extreme turbulence in creation. I mean, really what they are describing there sounds like, you know, earthquakes and storm surges. Now, maybe the idea of a mountain kind of coming off its, board, off its foundation and sliding into the ocean, that might be a really cool scene in like a Marvel movie. But if that happened in real life, how terrifying that would be. I mean, like, whoa, like, I don't want to see that. Years ago, where we lived, uh, when we lived in Washington State on the north side of Seattle, Seattle has been known to have earthquakes, and it was Earthquake Preparedness Day, and we had a friend that was kind of planning the uh, earthquake drill for the, the, the community we lived in. And, and I noticed behind our house, our house backed up onto a road, and I noticed behind your house there was this marker, and I said to him, what's that for? Oh, well, we just kind of decided we were going to have an 8.2 earthquake, and we lived at the bottom of the hill. And he said, yeah, this is the point where the hill was going to collapse. 
right over your house. Great. Let's call and get earthquake insurance. You know, I mean, it's like, that's not exactly a comforting scene, but that's the picture they're painting. I mean, verses 2 and 3 are reminding us that chaos wants to try to reign our lives. It wants to come in and be there. Now, verses 2 and 3, it's kind of an extreme picture. Okay, this is extreme turbulence. Things are flying around the cabin. That's the picture they're painting. Which, when you think about that, this is an extreme turbulence. Why does verse 2 start with the words, we will not fear? How many of you have been in an earthquake? Okay, not very many living. How many of you thought, oh, that's a really a lot of fun? Someone needs some help over here. <laughs> His wife didn't put her hand up. No, yeah. They really need help. I mean, how can you not fear when everything's shaking and quaking? Well, we skip verse one, so maybe if we read verse one, it might help. Okay, so verse one, what does it say? God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. The sons of Korah are telling us that the antidote to fear, what allows us to move away from is God. You say, well, how can that be true? How can you, because we know there's God, how does that let us move away from fear? Well, the sons of Korah tell us three truths about God that really can help us move and make that choice to move away from fear. First one is he's our refuge. Now, a refuge would be a strong, secure place that, that's safe for us. And I want you to notice, it doesn't say that God, like, points to a refuge. It's not like God says, hey, I know there is a refuge. You know, if you go over the hill and around the corner and through the mulberry bushes, you know, there'll be a safe place. He doesn't say that. No, it says he is the refuge, which means he is present with us. In essence, he's our defender. He puts his armors around us. We're safe because he's here. He's our refuge. It also says he's our strength. Now, when it says God's our strength, it's probably talking about two ideas there. One would be that God gives us strength. Okay? If you repent of your sin, if you turn to Jesus, you repent of your sin and you trust the Lord Jesus alone as your Savior, God the Father and God the Son send God the Holy Spirit to be a part of your life. And in part, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives to empower us, to give us the strength to be able to deal with things that come at us. So instead of feeling like we don't have any resources, no, God comes into our lives and provides for us. So it means that, but it also means maybe kind of in addition to that, if God is our strength, not only does God provide our strength, but as our refuge, God puts his arms around us so when we're weak, God has the ability and the strength to pick us up and to carry us and to take us. Third truth about God, not only is he refuge in our strength, but he's also our ever-present help in trouble. Now, I want you to realize it doesn't just say that God's present, you know, like he's just hanging around. I'm old enough that I grew up watching the Muppets, and I don't remember the two guys, but on the stage on the Muppets, if you were on the stage and you looked up over this area, there were the two cranky old guys, the hecklers. They were present, but they weren't exactly helpful. God is not a cranky old man. 
God is the ever-present help, which means he's present, active, and attentive to us. Now, I have never been on an airplane in extreme turbulence, but I got to imagine that would be very unsettling, very terrifying. So it's like, how can you move away from fear if you're in that situation? You can move away from fear in that situation, the sons of Korah tell us. If we see who God is. See, if we see that he is our refuge and our strength and our ever-present help, if he is those things, as verse 1 tells us, then verse 2 begins, therefore we will not fear. Because of who God is, we cannot fear. We can do this. God makes it possible. Strategy number one to deal with the turbulence of life is move away from fear. And we can do that because of who God is. When we see his beauty, we can do that. Strategy number two, embrace peace. Embrace peace. The sons of Korah want us to think about some more chaos, another scene to consider. So jump down to verse six. The nations rage, the the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. Now, verses two and three were a picture of kind of natural chaos. Verse six is sort of a, a picture of political chaos. I think we can kind of grasp the idea that political things can bring turbulence into life. I mean, the war in Ukraine has kind of created some semblance of chaos. You, you watch the pictures, you see the news, and it's like, that has to be turbulent. We've even were impacted. I mean, last summer when our inflation rate went so incredibly high, that was chaotic, and we still have repercussions of that. I'll be honest, in our context here, there are times where it feels like our political process smells a little chaotic, a little turbulent. We've had, and maybe you've had, I'm assuming the same thing, a number of mail pieces or door hangers in the last couple of months because we get ready for the presidential election in November of 24. We've been having stuff, and I I read them, and I'm like, they're kind of playing off of a little bit of there must be chaos in life, and it's all there. It's all kind of driven from a chaotic flavoring. It's like political things, relational things, all of that can create turbulence. It can create tension. How do you deal with that kind of turbulence? I mean, when it happens, what do you do with it? Well, the sons of Korah would say the way we deal with those challenges, those chaotic, turbulent things, is we embrace peace. Look at verses 4 and 5 of Psalm 46. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. You know, verses four and five provide such huge contrast between the verses before and after. I mean, verses two and three and and verse six are kind of giving us a picture of destruction and what the kind of turbulence that sin and all of that wants to bring into our lives. But right in the middle of that, verse 4 is talking about this river of gladness. Yes, sin is destructive. Turbulence wants to build on that and make things turbulent. But verse 4 says, you know what? There's sort of a picture that says there is blessing and restoration that's coming. You say, how is it possible for that to be true? 
Well, verse 5 seems to kind of answer the question, how can it be peaceful when there's all that stuff going around? You see, blessing and restoration are possible. They flow, in a sense, like a river when God is present. If God is present, it changes everything. When God is here, even amid turbulence, there's peace. There's this settledness. The idea in verse 5, at the end of verse 5, when it talks about the morning dawns, that morning dawning is a time when the chaotic forces, the things that want to create the turbulence, are active and there. And yet in that morning, amid all of that around us, we can still have peace because God is present. Look at the end of verse, the second part of verse six, just for a second. See, God speaks and it stops the chaos. The earth melts, it, it changes. Verse five talks about the contrast again. With God's present, the city doesn't move. It's stable, it's solid. But in verse six, it says kingdoms totter. Folks, that contrast is meant to help us see the power and the impact of God on life. Please don't miss this from the poetry and from the contrast. God alone, God alone is the one that can bring the stabilizing peace we all need, we all want. He can bring it. He is that peace. Now let me hit that proverbial pause button for a second and just ask you to think about maybe a tension point. I do believe that God brings a stabilizing peace. But you and I may not experience that peace to the degree that we want until Jesus returns. If you're on an airplane, putting on a seatbelt is a part of combating the turbulence. But it doesn't stop the turbulence. Choosing to embrace the gift of God's peace is a part of combating life's turbulence, but that doesn't stop it, which is where we get a little twisted, don't we? We want peace in our lives. Sometimes we can get very demanding. It's like, I don't want to be in this situation. I don't like this. I just want peace. We all want it, but we don't always experience it at least the way we want to. As I thought about verse 5 and verse 6, it's kind of like, hey, maybe there's a soul question, a soul check thing I need to ask. I need to look in my life about my desire for peace and maybe I'm not experiencing it. And I think the question maybe goes something like this. Am I looking for God's help in the morning? Or am I thinking my voice should make everything melt? Like I'm going to bring peace because I want it. Some of you know 2023 has not exactly been the year that I would have liked it to have been in my life. Which raises the question I've got to deal with. Who am I trusting to deal with my turbulence? 
If I'm finding that peace is elusive, I'm not experiencing peace, that might be an indicator that I'm not looking to God and taking him at his word that he's here, that he's present to give me peace amid the turbulence. Maybe what I am doing is I am demanding that I should have control, demanding that peace should come on my terms. And maybe it doesn't work that way. See, folks, none of us can give ourselves the peace we don't have. We all need the peace of God, the peace that only God can bring. You know, God understands that we want life's turbulence to end. He he really does. He wants the same thing. God does not like chaos. Why he sent the Lord Jesus to die in our place for our sins and to rise again. God wants us to know peace. That's why the Lord Jesus is going to return to bring the fullness of God's peace to his people and to all of creation. You know what, when I'm struggling with peace, when I'm like, I'm not peaceful, what I need to do, what you need to do, is we need to receive his peace now, knowing the fullness of that peace, the completeness of that really is coming. It will be our experience. In contrast, if I choose to undo the seatbelt of peace I've been given, I'm going to go without it. I'm going to miss God's peace. I'm not going to experience what God has for me. Folks, God is offering every single one of us today his peace. Please, put that seatbelt on. It doesn't change the fact that there's going to be chaos around us in one sense, but it gives us God's peace amid all of that because he's present. The city doesn't need to be moved, which means the person of God doesn't need to be moved when you've got that seatbelt on. On. Strategy number three, we move, we move away from fear, we embrace peace. And then strategy number three, the third thing we do to deal with the turbulence of life is we behold and become. We need to behold and become. You know, the, the, the tension of life's turbulence is real. And I think part of what makes the turbulence sometimes difficult is you don't always know what's coming. Sometimes it just happens in an instant, unexpectedly. I don't know if you've ever been on a rough flight or a flight that you didn't think was going to be rough and you took off and all of a sudden you're shaking and rattling. How long is this going to last? We don't always know. It just appears and like, well, will it go away? I'm going to guess, and it is a guess. I don't know this. I'm going to guess some of you have been on a plane trip where there was a lot of turbulence and you have not been able to forget that trip. Or I'm going to guess some of you have had some life turbulence that caught you off guard, but it's still making you shake, so to speak. You're still experiencing that. My wife teases me, and it's a family trait, I'm told, that odd things stick out in our heads. So on April 28, 1988, Aloha Airlines Flight 243 
had part of its roof come off. Some of you can Google that and check the dates, but that's the date. I Googled it to make sure I had the right date. Okay, part of the roof came off, and unfortunately a flight attendant was literally sucked out of the plane. I mean, horrific thing. About four or five days later, I was on a very turbulent flight flying back into Calgary on the exact same kind of airplane, a Boeing 737. Now, normally, I mean, I wear my seatbelt. I, I am a rule for do those things, but I'll be honest, that day, we, they, like the flight attendants never even got up. Like we were shaking, rattling, rolling. We were, it's like, ooh, this is a whole lot of fun. So I'll be honest, the seatbelt went tighter and tighter and tighter. And my arms were now gripping the armrest, and I'm looking up at the ceiling of the plane going, is this going to last? I'm also thinking, how long till we land? Now, I did not enjoy it. I did not like it. Now, most of the time, I love flying. I think it's really cool. Partly because I can get to read lots of books. But that day was stressful. It's like, oh, it's like, what do you do when you're in those situations when the turbulence is bad? What do you do? See, when you're flying, it's how long is this going to last? But when it's in your life, the question is, can I handle this? Am I going to get through this? Verses 8 and 9, I think, may be a gift to us when we're in those moments. The verses read this way. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. The sons of Korah are wanting us to know that if we're going to deal with the turbulence, what we need to do is we need to look, or to use the exact word there, we need to behold. Now, we've mentioned this going through a couple of psalms already this summer, but a key principle to everyone that is going to follow the Lord Jesus means going forward involves us looking back at what God has done in the past. See, the idea of the word behold is you recite the mighty acts of God again and again and again. Why? To plant them deep in the memory of your, in your memory as evidence of God's care, provision, and action. It's like you recite them. You behold, and again and again, you're just reciting them again, deeper and deeper. Now, maybe a quicker way to say that is you need to see God's beauty and let it soak deeply into your soul. Why? Because life is perplexing. Life is hard. I'm going to guess most of us, most of us are going to go through life and find there's a lot of questions that pop up. And we seem to struggle finding answers to all of those questions that that satisfy us, that leave us going, oh yeah, all right, that makes perfect sense. I'm okay now. There's often a lot of indigestion in living life. The sons of Korah live in that same world. When things come at them, what do they do? Well, they're saying if you're going to deal with that world, they're inviting us to look back, to recite those things again and again. What has God done in the past? In essence, kind of like many of the prophets in the Old Testament would be, they'd all look back, we said this before, look back to the Exodus. 
or to look back to the miracles of the conquest, look back to the things God has done. And for us living on this side of the New Testament, this side of the cross, we maybe need to look to the cross. We need to go back and look at the empty tomb. We need to recite those things. We need to behold those things. I want you to think about the cross just for a minute. You know, Jesus dying on the cross for us doesn't exactly make sense according to the standard of our culture. I mean, you think about it. Why would you sacrifice yourself for your enemy? Because the sinners, that's what we are. We're, if you're sinners, are enemies of God. We've created, we've, we've done treason against God. Why would Jesus die for us? It doesn't make sense on one hand. But if you behold the cross and you realize what Jesus has done for us, when you behold the cross and see behind it the beauty of God and what God wants for us, all of a sudden it does make sense. All of a sudden it is a gift we need. Folks, every single one of us needs to behold God's beauty to deal and face life. Because see, if you and I don't behold beauty, we're going to try to answer our questions, and I'm not against trying to answer questions. I'm not. But if we don't see God's beauty, when we go with our questions and we're trying to find answers, chaos and turbulence is what we're going to walk into. And chaos and turbulence can consume our lives. But if you come to your questions and you're trying to find answers and you're looking at them through God's beauty, you're beholding God's beauty, then God's beauty consumes your life. And what it means when God's beauty consumes your life, that means you are consumed by his life and his love. That's a lot better picture to me than being consumed by chaos. Verse 10 goes farther in Psalm 46, and it says this. Be still and know that I am God, and I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. God really does want to help us in this strategy. So yes, behold, but now God's going to step out from behind, sort of speaking through the sons of Korah, and God speaks directly to us in verse 10. God's speaking to us, and he says, hey, he knows there's chaos wanting to rain down on our lives. So God says, even in that world, be calm, because I am God. And you say, how can I be calm, God, if there's chaos? Well, if you read all of verse 10, what does it say? You know, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. The nations that are part of the chaos, God says he'll be exalted there. It's a reminder to us that God wins. It's a reminder to us, as Philippians 2 reminds us, and we kind of sang words like that earlier in the service, every knee shall bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. That is the truth. The God speaking in verse 10, who's telling us right now in this moment, be calm, is the God that brings ultimate victory. He will bring it. He will deliver. How do you deal with the turbulence? Well, I'll be honest. I'm a part of the WIMS club. 
And, and I don't mind turbulence, but boy, when you start doing this and you start doing this, it's a little bit of a, okay, yeah, hope the pilot knows what he's doing. How old is the pilot on the plane? Has he actually flown this before? You think these things as you get a little older and the pilots look awfully young. But we don't need to panic. Because God says, be calm, and I bring ultimate victory. You can rest in that. Well, let's ask the pragmatic question. Is it really possible? I mean, is it really possible to move away from fear? Is it possible to embrace peace? Is it possible to behold and be calm? Well, we skipped a couple of verses, so let me read verse 1 again, and then verse 7 and verse 11. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. If you're wondering if it's possible, verses 1, 7, and 11 are saying it is. In verses 7 and 11, the God who is with us is described as the Lord of hosts. Now, the Lord of hosts is a military term. In essence, it's telling us, guess what? God is going to fight for us. God fights for us so we can move away from fear. God fights for us so we can embrace peace. God fights for us so we can behold and be calm. Our refuge, strength, and fortress. God, he is those things, and he empowers us in a turbulent world to follow him amidst all of that. Turbulence in life is not easy to deal with. But if God is with us, and God is for us, it is possible The skies we might fly in, so to speak, may not always be friendly, may not always be so welcoming and inviting, but the God we can be connected to through the Lord Jesus, through putting our faith and trust in him, that God makes it possible for us to go through the turbulence that we may face this week and yet experience peace. And calm, not an artificial peace, not a calm we're trying to pretend things aren't happening. No, we can know his peace and we can know his calm. He is offering that to us today. Please, would you pray with me? Father, I am grateful to you for what you offer us in Christ. Your peace, your calm. Thank you that you are our refuge and our strength. You are a very present help in our trouble. May we receive from you those incredible gifts today. Thank you. In a turbulent world, we don't need to panic. We don't need life to be chaotic. You offer your peace. Lord, may we behold you And may we become because of who you are. 
In the precious name of the Savior, we pray. Amen.